I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us. And today, we're discussing album number 36 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 album list, which is Tapestry by Carol King. good one i know you've been kind of waiting for dark side of the moon to appear but this was a, an album i've known sort of up there with maybe a couple of the beatles albums and joshua tree is like one where i've kind of been eyeballing like cool that's going to be a fun one to tackle uh, an album okay for a while and uh and yeah I'm, I'm excited we're here we made it me too and i know i want to point out too that um 36 albums in only our second album by a female performer. Uh, hopefully 2020 <laughs> will be filled with more women uh, than 2019 was for the sound logic podcast. I should say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well said my friend. <laughs> well, I'll start with this because you kind of precluded it uh, mm. that I, I haven't listened to this album before i had heard of it i remember a number of years ago wasn't too long i think we had i was visiting my aunt and uncle who i who i grew up very close with they lived across the road and they're a little bit younger than my parents my my aunt is probably about seven years younger than my mom and then uh her husband my uncle is maybe three or four years younger okay so the the, the listening is different too uh, because of that kind of decade gap. And I remember being at their place with some neighbors and, you know, playing some cards. And they started talking and just gushing about Tapestry by Carol King. Hmm. And I had heard uh, so far away, I had a roommate who watched a movie called uh, The Virgin Suicides. I want to say like a Jake Gyllenhaal or Tobey Maguire type guy. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, you know, uh, early 2000s, and he heard this song in it so much that he went and bought the album just so he could put the one song. He put the one song on his computer, but he bought that album. I heard of it then. And then these people who were, you know, more born in the 50s and 60s talking about Carol King. Oh, Carol King's Tapestry. What a great album. I listened to it so many times. And and even after that, I didn't go and explore it. But when I listened to this and I, I listened to it with vinyl, it was an album I got at the same time I bought Blue mm-hmm. uh, and listened to it with my wife, Nora. You know, she seemed very familiar with it. I was surprised at how many of the songs I knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably over half of it. I was like, <laughs> I know all this stuff, you know. So it was new for me. Uh, but you've alluded that it's not a new one for you. Yeah, it's not something I've listened to my entire life. but. Um... Oh boy, this dates us a little bit, uh, but not too badly, I guess. When, <laughs> when you start to get to know someone, whether that be uh, someone you're friends with or, or romantically interested in, when we were sort of teenage years um, and moving into college, one of the things that we would do as sort of music fans in general was flip through someone's CD collection and see what they had on the shelf, see you know whether they're 
musical tastes were similar, whether they had stuff you hadn't seen before. Um, yeah, and and judge them accordingly. Judge them accordingly. <laughs> it was all like uh, you know pop hit uh, compilation albums from the '90s. You know, you might think about them a different way. But anyway, Ice Club Seven. Um, Meredith, my uh, then. Uh, I don't even know if we were dating at this point. Uh, my my current wife and and then friend or possibly uh, significant other, I'm not sure. Um, I found her CD folder one day and flipped through and found Carol King's Tapestry and thought, this is an album I should know. Why don't I know this? And asked if I could borrow it. She said, sure. She said, it's great. It's one of her favorites. And um, it had turned out that uh, during high school, I believe, her choir had sung the song tapestry and she liked that ah. piece of music so much that she went and purchased carol king's tapestry album um and like you i remember that same sort of feeling like oh i know this song i know this song too and uh hmm. and I, you know i just could it was sort of this um almost dumbfounded feeling of like why why haven't i known how great this was um you know, now in hindsight, I, I look at the number of albums that have sold and and uh, all the songs that are on it. It's, it seems sort of crazy that I wouldn't have um, listened to it before then. But I also know that for a significant portion of my musical listening, um, similar to this uh, uh, Rolling Stone list, I listen to almost exclusively um, male artists. I don't. I didn't have. I don't know if any female artists in my CD collection until probably getting to college. Um, I'm sure that there, there there may have been one or two, but but really most of them were uh, were male artists. And so I think for someone like Carol King, who was uh, an incredible artist, very prolific, it just wasn't on my radar, um, which is terrible. It shows perhaps some bias in what I was drawn to as a teenager and, and maybe what society was throwing my way as well. But that's kind of a long and rambling way of saying that I really do have an appreciation for this album. And, and it's been an incredible thing to have in my life since then. It's, it's often something that we'll put on, uh, you know, just dinner time in the background uh, because we all like it. Meredith, myself and our kids too. Before we get into um, album details, I think it is important to point out that Carol King was prolific as a songwriter before she sort of ever rose to fame yes. as a, a solo artist. Um, yeah. She has we'll, written... We'll definitely get to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Um, but she has written or co-written 118 songs that have made it onto the Billboard Top 100 list. I wow. think... I think it makes wow. her like one of the most um, successful female songwriters of our lives. Uh, wow! Uh, and it's yeah, it's it's remarkable to think about that. Uh, you know, her her songs are great when she does them by herself, but most of us know Carol King songs and don't even realize that they are Carol King songs. And that's I think right. That's a great way to sort of begin a dive into an artist like this is to just point that out that that she is prolific sort of beyond even um, what we know of as Carol King music. And the, the plight of the songwriter too, because mm -hmm. Carol King, and as you mentioned, possibly one of the most successful uh, songwriters or popular songwriters of all time. Mm -hmm. And 
and I'm a I'm a music fan. I, I try and listen to a lot of different music. I hadn't heard of her till I was probably around 30 years old. Didn't even know who she was. Probably had heard some of her songs. Yeah. Definitely heard one that she wrote for someone else that we're going to talk about because everyone has. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Um, uh, and so here we are. Yeah. Carol King. Um, and uh, I want to keep gushing about this and how good it is and all the songs, but let's lay some groundwork here and talk about some details, shall we? I think we need some. Details, 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 details. So this album was released on February 10th, 1971. It was Carol King's second studio album. Uh, all the songs were written by Carol King, though not all of them did she write alone? Three of them were co-written uh, by Carol King and Jerry Goffin. At this point, her ex-husband, but she had he had been her husband um, in the sixties. Um, and then Jerry Wexler also gets a credit with Goffin and King on "You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman," and Tony Stern has co-writing credits also on "It's Too Late" and "Where You Lead." But Carol King is the primary, or at least one of the main songwriters on every song. Mm -hmm. This charted number one in the U.S. and sat there for five weeks, which I think is impressive, and was number four in the U.K. And sales to date, it sold over 25 million copies uh, and has gone diamond in the U.S., which is 10 million. And not only did it do well on the U.S. charts and the U.K. charts, but on the Billboard charts, it stayed there on their top 200 for 313 weeks. And that is second place in terms of how many weeks an album. Second place only to, and you guessed it, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take any chance to talk about that. Which, uh, uh, which at, I'll, since we're talking about it, I'll mention it, which sat on the charts for 724 weeks. So, um, 313 weeks on the charts, uh, and that's impressive. Second most of all time for Carol King's Tapestry. Most for a female artist. Absolutely. Some other notes about the album. Uh, in 1972, this album won her four Grammys. Album of the Year, Record of the Year for It's Too Late, Song of the Year for You've Got a Friend, and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, the album in general. So that's also like really impressive. Yeah. A lot of the albums we've talked about, Ben, did not get Grammy. Some of them did. The Beatles yep. won a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, the U2s. Um, <laughs> the U2s. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, a, a few other, but most of them didn't, and a lot of them gained speed over time. This one was successful right off the hop. I found this little nugget this week. Um, as I was skipping through and saw that Grammy for album of the year, I thought, Oh, we don't see that note often on these albums. We, you know, we've been through 36 here now. Um, I wonder how many of the albums we've gone through so far have also taken home album of the year. And it turns All out right, that there've point. been, there've been five before this. So this is the sixth okay. one. Yeah. Um, the others that we've already reviewed are Sergeant Peppers, which was album of the year in 1968. Uh, Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions at 1974, uh, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors in 78, 
uh, Thriller in 84 and The Joshua Tree in 88. So, um, oh, interesting. An interesting selection there of, uh, yeah. of really quality albums. Um, those are those are probably, I think, some of our favorites too. I think I you're think right. They're on our we top look 10 list, aren't they? In our top 10, I think the only one that might not live there for both of us right now might be Sgt. Pepper's. Which is funny uh, in itself. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, but but certainly uh, I I think is well that's very interesting. Yeah. So this is album thirty six on the Rolling Stone, but on Colin Larkin's uh, one thousand albums of all time, it comes at seventy four. So I'm interested to see if there's other albums he's put in there that bumped this mm-hmm. down, or, yeah. or what the reason was. And we wanted to talk. You mentioned earlier, Carol King wrote a lot of songs for other people. So she wrote, "You make me feel." like a natural woman for Aretha Franklin. She was asked to write it by Jerry Wexler. Jerry Wexler was driving down the street and saw Carol King with her then husband, Jerry Goffin and shouted out the window. Uh, uh, I need you to do a natural woman song for Aretha's next album. <laughs> like, just like yelled at them. And they, Cause he had been, I think it was him who was talking about like, a, there was a song, a natural man. And so, he wanted something else. And they kind of looked at each other, uh, Carol King and her husband and went home and wrote it. And so then that came out in 67. So that's interesting that that came out in 67 was a massive hit, but then she goes and releases her own version of her song that she wrote, um, (laughs) on this 1971 album. Uh, but I, I kind of assumed before researching it, well, she released this and then Aretha covered it. Well, no, she, she wrote it for her, but then sort of covered her own song. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. I guess. Yeah. Or I, I guess it's not. What do you call that? It's not really a cover because she wrote it. She probably played it, but herself as she was writing it. Right. <laughs> so, so kind of interesting. Um, I think it's very safe to say this is less, and I'll use in quotation marks, less popular or less well known than Aretha's version. Um, but I, yeah, I do like this as much as you can have when you've sold 25 million copies of it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, but just, yeah, for sure. But just yeah. the song alone. I think you're um, right. And then uh, another song that she does on this album, will you love me tomorrow? She wrote for the Shirelles in way back in 1960. Is that, have I got that right? Did I read that right? That is crazy that she, yeah, she started in the music industry as like an 18 or 19 year old. So sure. She'd been Fair enough. Music for a while. Yeah. But yeah, her first album came out in 1970. So she was a songwriter before she was a independent exactly. you know, performer. Yeah. That's, uh-huh. that's so interesting. And then also Barbara Streisand, and I'm not as familiar with this one. Barbara Streisand had a 1971 pseudo recording of where you lead uh which is also on this album mm-hmm. and that went to number 40 while this one was on the charts <laughs> which right. is interesting which is the same for um james taylor's version or rendition of you've got a friend uh yes. all three of those songs were charting at the same time uh, oh, wow while That's while this music is out there uh yeah it's so really, interesting i don't know that we see that too much today do we where a band will release something and uh, another popular artist will sing the same song and have it chart for them as well. I can't think mm-hmm. of any recent examples of that. I'm not super into the charts these days, but 
But even, mm. you know, 10 or 15 years ago when I was really into that sort of thing, I can't remember that kind of simultaneous uh, sharing of songs to be, to be happening. And maybe it's because the copyright's held a little closer by the artist or the studios. Um, yeah. No one wants to, you know, have to pay royalties for a hit song. And so they <laughs> right. try and make sure it's theirs and theirs alone. Yeah, I think you're right. That's interesting. I guess it's also the fact that she's a writer, right? So, you know, I think it's a different kind of thing because her music is being produced and performed by other uh, musicians all the time. And uh, and so maybe she was just far more willing than most people are to have her songs recorded by other people. Right. This struck me as I was going through um, some details this week. There are 14 additional musicians on this album. Um, I think about this album and I think of songs like you make me feel like a natural woman, which is basically just her in a piano. And I yeah. thought like, wow, like for us, for an album that often sounds really intimate and stripped down, how are there possibly 14 other people playing on this? But it's all kinds of different um, backing parts and uh, yes. little bits of instrumentation that kind of fill in the blanks here and there. Um, they've managed somehow to keep its intimacy and simplicity. Um, while having a whole other range of, of artists uh, on for the ride and some significant artists as well, too. <laughs> I noticed on some of the, you say this and, and I agree with you. I noticed on some of the songs that there's a full band behind her. Like you can hear the yeah very seventies style drums and bass and like acoustic and electric guitar and maybe additional keys and maybe even some horns, but they're all very subtle. Like it's almost like they're very quiet mm -hmm. in the background, just kind of slid in behind. Not like the band is trying to be on the front layer. It's like the showcase is still Carol King and her piano. Exactly. And then and except voice. for, yeah, and her voice and a few songs have maybe a little more guitar or a, a little more, you know, there's some horns in here. There's a little bit of saxophone, I think it from time to time. Yeah. Uh, but it's mostly, uh, mostly piano, but there are some songs, but I would too was surprised. There's so many, um, lots of great vocalists here. Uh, -huh. uh I get, uh, we're, we're almost at tracks. Anyways, you want to talk about some of the other musicians here? I mean, sure. Uh, James, James Taylor, plays guitar on i won't list them all but about four or five songs um james taylor and joni mitchell back up on will you love me tomorrow and i'm i'm holding the 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 lp in my hand right now and on the back cover is uh it lists all the tracks with it's like got all the information on the back cover it's got all the tracks and who wrote it the copyright all the musicians and all the lyrics Wow! on the back cover. It's just, it's what you would normally find on the inside is on the back. Will you love me tomorrow has all these musicians and background vocals are credited to the Mitchell Taylor boy and girl choir. Oh, okay. <laughs> obviously Joni Mitchell and James Taylor. Um, interesting because at this time, this was before Joni released blue at this time. Joni Mitchell and James Taylor were an item. Right. They were in a relationship. So uh, their voices just sound so good on that track. Backing up Carol King. Uh, Smackwater Jack features Mary Clayton. Uh, we've already talked about her. Do you remember her? I don't remember that name, no. Uh, she is the vocalist who joins Mick Jagger on Gimme Shelter. Oh, uh, opening sure enough, track yeah. for Let It Bleed. And also 
uh, one of the feature performers on the movie that I mentioned called 20 Feet from Stardom about uh, uh, background vocalists, backup singers. Yeah, sure enough. Uh, so, so she, again, appears uh, on this. I'm not as familiar with as many of the other musicians, but there, there are a bunch. <laughs> uh, yeah, so cool um, cover. Like, again, when I, I don't know a whole lot about Carol King. I'm going to say that breath back but when i think about a someone who's a songwriter and not really a performer uh and when i hear i talk to my wife about carol king and how you know she was never really a star or like she doesn't even really look in again in quotation look like a star and my wife said well she never i don't think she ever wanted to be and that wasn't who Mm. she was yeah um she was this amazing songwriter and could perform you know you you got to wonder why she didn't release her own album until like over a decade after she started writing incredible music. Uh, but when I see this picture and her looking very comfortable, very relaxed, um, this is what kind of what a songwriter looks like to me. She's holding in, it's a photo of her. Uh, it's it's kind of dark. The light's coming through the window on her left side, but the rest of it's kind of shadowy and it's just a room in her apartment. She's sitting uh, she's got a sweater on with some jeans. She's got no socks on. You can see her foot. She's holding in her hands a tapestry that she had stitched herself. Um, and in the foreground, out of focus, is her cat. <laughs> His name is uh, Telemachus. It's a good name. Uh, which sounds kind of Greek. Uh, it could be of Greek origin. Uh, this is the now the second uh, the second album cover that we've talked about on this list so far to feature a kitty cat, uh, a pet cat on the front because uh, Bob Dylan's bringing it all back home where he's holding a cat named yeah. Rolling Stone. <laughs> Telemachus is a uh, Greek, uh, the son of a Greek hero, Odysseus. So um, good call there you on, go. the, on the Greek connection there. Yep. I know my, I know my uh, obscure Greek names. All right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then um, this photo was taken by uh, A&M staff photographer Jim McCrary at Carol King's home in Laurel Canyon, another big name uh, when we talk about uh, a lot of musicians were hanging out there in the 60s. I think uh, Mama Cass had a place there and a lot of people hung out and, and probably people like, I think, Jim Morrison. I'm not going to say too much because I'll probably talk it on my butt. <laughs> Laurel Canyon. It's just a beautiful, picturesque neighborhood that allows you to be close to L.A. and feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. Right. But I feel like when I look at this album cover and then I put on the music that Carol King, or at least this 29-year-old version of Carol King, is someone that I could just knock on the door and go in and just hang out with her. Yeah. I said before that I thought she was 39. Um She's 29 when this comes out. And right. Yes. She actually looks younger than that on, on the cover for some reason. Younger than 29, maybe even. Artsy. Yep. Lady who, uh, you know, lives with her cat. Uh, super nice. <laughs> likes to read. You know, sit in the window still. And, um, yeah. Maybe a little shy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I- I see all those things that artsy it's an artsy cover, but not pretentious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know we, um, this quote applies to Joni Mitchell, but that whole thing where like she introduces herself as uh, a painter 
uh, not right, a musician. Yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of get the same vibe of Carol King. Like, um, she's not in this to be a star. Uh, she's a well-rounded right. uh, person aside from music, <laughs> and uh, and doesn't need to sort of be in the spotlight. And I think this cover does a good job at exemplifying that i don't know i've never met her so i don't know if that's actually true but um (laughs) her career seems to paint that sort of picture uh, especially considering she's you know one of the most prolific female writers of all time to to be fairly not shy from the spotlight but but not need the spotlight i think is a really interesting dynamic yeah i would agree um what you said about Joni mitchell saying i'm I'm a painter first yeah (laughs) Uh, which uh, still is so funny to me because she's such a brilliant musician. But right. um, uh, Carol King's first album was called Writer. So I think Carol King also saying, she hasn't said this, or maybe she has, but I don't know of her saying this again because I don't know a ton, but her, I think, identifying as a writer. Uh, she's yeah. a great performer. She's a great musician. Yep. She sounds great, wonderful, but but her talent as a songwriter is just pew, over the top. Yeah, yeah. Um, the inside cover of the LP is also you open it up, and right in the middle is an image of the tapestry that she has hand stitched <laughs> uh, right across. Oh, cool! Like right across the middle, and on the edges, kind of laid over this tapestry texture is black and white images from obviously taken in the recording studio of all the different musicians and producers number of pictures of carol king you see a couple images of of uh, james taylor there's james taylor singing with Joni mitchell um and they're they're all candid photos none of them are you can tell none of them were really staged it's all just candid photos that someone snapped and put in there they almost look like they have thread woven through them like they're just kind of laid over top yeah. of that texture so it's kind of yeah, it's kind of neat it's just it's just kind of neat in there and but yeah the like i said the back again has the texture kind of like a fabric almost like a tea towel or linen behind it with all the text of the lyrics so huh. gotta wonder too carol king being a a songwriter i wonder if she had input saying i want the i want all the lyrics there mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the back I, I don't know again we've talked about unless you speak to people involved, knowing how much influence the artist had and how much control the studio had or the record company. But anyways, yeah, another, uh, again, a, an album cover I wasn't familiar with one. I don't know how iconic it is, uh, but a neat one nonetheless. And just like a, a very, almost like a candid shot, you know, kind of cool. And a little kitty cat. which <laughs> my daughter. I, I brought the album home. I was looking at, she said, Oh, a kitty, you know, like, <laughs> Cats uh, were trying to rule the internet before it even existed on album covers. I think they rule it now. <laughs> well, although Baby Yoda is kind of taking over at present, <laughs> that one will be that one will be dated when people listen to this in ten years. <laughs> I will list the tracks. Uh, okay, twelve track, twelve tracks. So this is uh, a usually bit beyond we don't the norm. <laughs> we don't usually hit twelve tracks. Right. Yeah, usually we're at between we talk nine, ten, eleven. Uh, so we got to 12. It feels like there's a lot because I wouldn't say that any of them are like, oh, that's a really short song. No, um, and we've got a five minute song on here. Um, somehow she crammed them all in. But yeah, we, you're right. We do have a five minute song here. Um, yeah. So the, the tracks are side one. I feel the earth move. I feel the earth move under my feet. I 
so far away. So far away. Doesn't anybody stay in one place anymore? It's too late. Home again. Sometimes I wonder if I'm ever gonna make it home again. Beautiful. That you're beautiful as you feel. And way over yonder. Side two starts with You've Got a Friend. When you're down and troubled and you need some love and care. Where you lead. Where you lead, I will follow anywhere that you tell me to. Will you love me tomorrow? Smackwater Jack. Now smack water jack. Keep a shotgun. Tapestry. My life has been a tapestry of rich and royal hue. You make me feel like a natural woman. Carol King covering. Carol King. You bet. Carol King covering Aretha Franklin, written by Carol King. Right. <laughs> I'll talk about some of the things I really like. So Far Away was one of the first songs I ever heard years ago, and I've always really liked that. It's a beautiful tune. Um, I, I just find myself singing it sometimes, even before I listen to this. Um, I love the background vocals on Will You Love Me Tomorrow. Just very classic soprano, alto, tenor. You know, harmonies, first, third, fifth, uh, really great. I love it. Another thing I thought was really interesting on Tapestry, uh, it's just keys. It sounds like a synthesizer organ with a really interesting, like, echo or tremolo or something. I can never quite figure out what it is. It makes it sound almost space-agey. Um, but it's, it's like, again, a very reflective... There's something vibrating in there, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And and um, it, it really reminds me of, uh, like, Joni Mitchell, some of her stuff. Like, uh, she's got these kind of reflective songs, like uh, uh, The Circle Game. Go round and round and round in The Circle Game. Yeah. And uh, I've seen Clouds from Both Sides Now. Yeah. Sorry, the song's called Both Sides Now. But mm-hmm. uh, I just, uh, just, kind of, just kind of an inner-looking kind of thing. Um, and overall... The songs and so much of about it. Some of it's about love and relationship, but so much of about it is about, you know, being positive and confident and leaning on people you love and looking inside and knowing that you're beautiful and you're, you know, you're strong and you're a good person. It's a very positive album. I feel, I feel yeah. really good when I'm, when I'm done listening to it. I, I feel strong. I feel energized, even though it's not like a hard electric album. It, uh, in terms of the instrumentation, it's a very acoustic, softer. It, it it's probably an, a very early 
easy listening category yes. <laughs> kind of album, right? Into as we get into the seventies, and that becomes more of a of a category. But yeah, I just feel really, really good. There are some songs like certainly the opening track, "I Feel the Earth Move," where I really just want to move, like I do want to dance. Mm-hmm. It's it gets me going, and and it's got a great band. Um, yeah. Uh, so. I mean, that's just kind of tidbits on some of my favorites. Yeah. I think that like, hearing you say that, it, it dawns on me that there's a lot of love on this album, but they're not yeah. like, they're not just um, romantic, um, like kind of mushy love songs. There's yeah. a lot of yeah. depth and, and realness to it. Like somehow she's figured out a way to write love songs that um, have an authenticity to them. Oh, yeah. And, and uh and somehow can be positive at times too <laughs> like usually the most authentic love songs are the sort of broken-hearted songs but she's got some like really beautiful um positive and not just sappy love songs here <laughs> um yeah it's it's really brilliantly done the other thing that dawned on me as you were talking is um a lot of these are are fairly simplistic in terms of um, the emphasis being on her voice and her piano, but they're not, they don't all sound exactly the same too. Um, no, not at all. Maybe that's the sign of a, of a really good writer. Yeah. You know, if you just looked at this track list of 12 songs, all in the sort of three to four minute range. And someone said they're all like sort of upbeat, positive love songs. You're like, Oh, Okay. 12 tracks do i really need to listen to that many but there's a there's a <laughs> a good bit of diversity here considering that most of them are her in a piano or at least that's the primary focus um which is really brilliant and then the other thing that i was curious about maybe to get some of your thoughts on she's not that far removed at this moment from the sort of flower child uh, love everyone kind of music but this sure. doesn't sound like that either no, no, um, it doesn't. And I don't know why. Like, wh- what is it about this music that separates it from uh, that that music, which also had a lot of positive, uplifting love in it? I don't know. Is there just a, more strength to her voice, or is it tonally? Are we? Is it just the, the way the music sounds? Doesn't? Well, they're all pretty concise. Uh-huh. They're all kind of land in between that three, four minute sweet spot. Yeah. Um, so there's not any kind of indulgent kind of expansive instrumental or experimental sections that we get with a lot of the, the sixties hippie love child stuff. Uh, so we don't really get lost in that. I think that there's a lot of depth to the lyrics and they're still relatable and they're not, um, they're not fantastical. Yeah. Like they're, they're, very, they're very down to earth. It's, it's all very much. It's a very earthly narrative. There's nothing mm-hmm. kind of outside of the regular. There's not even a ton of, um, well, I don't want to say that anyways. Well, well not, not in the, it, there's not, there's not an otherworldly narrative that you get in a lot of the 60s stuff. Right. Or even some of the Joni Mitchell stuff where she paints narratives of, you know, uh, cities and sailing and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. We don't really get that. But we also don't get simplistic la 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 kind of chorus lines either. 
Um, we don't get a whole lot of sort of chorus refrains that you repeat over and over either. She, you know, she is clearly a lyricist. Um, yeah. Even even though it's not as like uh, coded maybe or 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 poetic as some of the other uh, folks like Joni that we've tackled so far. Um, but it, yeah, it's just really good. I think the tracks that really, I, I think I could have very easily, I think spent um, <laughs> three hours with this album, like we did with, with blue uh, because wow. each, each song I think pulls me in a different kind of direction, but the ones that I'm, I continue to be sort of like, feel them sort of wash over me maybe is a good way to put it um mm. i i think uh home again is one that i i just really think is uh a, a beautiful one um and so far away as well i think is a is another that that i just find myself being kind of swept up in and and i think the the romance in these sort of immediately draws me to moments where i have felt similar kinds of emotions she she has this ability to pull into a refrain you're so far away doesn't anybody stay in one place anymore you suddenly feel like oh there's that moment in my life where i've maybe been too distant or too far away or someone i've I've wanted to be close to has been um somewhere i couldn't be um oh yeah it's it's beautiful um yeah, it's really good. I don't, I don't know that I have anything more to add to that other than I really like it and um, and and feel feel some kind of gratitude for this album um, continues to be in my life. Well, I think I think we still have some time. Like you can, do you want to? Is there, a, you know, I no. I don't want. I feel like I, I feel like we're taking some yeah, no, something away I, from you. I think I've got some thoughts here to share as we start to get into conclusions that. Uh, I think sure. we'll touch on some of the things that I that I feel like I love about this. Well, we talked about some of the covers already, yeah. uh, or, or some of the ones that that she had written for other people who had done previously. But as we were listening to this, my wife pointed out that um, "Where You Lead" was the opening track to the show Gilmore Girls. Did oh, you know yeah. that? I had forgotten that, but yes. Uh, I guess that's you admitting to having watched that show. Sure, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not against admitting that. No, I, I'm. I'm actually. I, I. It almost sounded like a slam, but I'm not making fun of you at all because <laughs> I, I have. I have nothing against it. Uh, I just personally never watched. Well, I mean, it was. It, as we were in university, it was just like the, the uh, kind of the girl. That's the show that the the girls love to watch. Sure, it's about two, it's about two women, right? Yeah. But um. But uh, Nora pointed that out to me, um, and I said, well, I wouldn't know that because I didn't watch it. But, I mean, that that show was, like, a pretty big hit, and it was around for a while. So then you can imagine there's a whole generation of uh, women between their, you know, 30s and 40s right now who who know that song really well. Yeah. Because <laughs> they heard it, like, every week for six years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Right. I mentioned I put my sister and I uh, my sister and I have an annual tradition where we just before Christmas we get together for a whole afternoon and make a heap ton of cookies and then package them up and give them as gifts to a lot of our friends and families and um, we often listen to music we listen to Christmas stuff and then uh, I said do you, you want to listen to some of the stuff I'm listening to right now for the podcast she said sure so I put on Carol King's Tapestry I said are you familiar with this album she said not really but we got to where you lead i said I, i'm told this was uh 
part of a TV show for the opening credits. She said, oh yeah, I know this one. <laughs> she said, I didn't watch it too much, but when I went to university, and Sarah went to university um, in the the mid-2000s, right. um, and she said there was, you know, girls in dorm would have watching parties, you know, once a week when it came out. Um, it was a big deal. So I was a part of it, uh, and I joined in just because it was there and, and that's what my peers were doing but I wasn't really devoted but sure but I'm certainly uh, familiar yeah yeah <laughs> whatever <laughs> but yeah that's another another little tidbit there yeah for those of you who are fans of this album and mm. fans of James Taylor uh, mm. you probably already know this but if not please 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 go and check out live at the troubadour which is a uh, an album, a live performance that the two of them did together, in which they sing together each other's songs. And it's oh. almost as if they took Tapestry and James Taylor's Greatest Hits and just threw them in a blender and they both do them. So um, I'm just skimming through the track list there. From oh, this, I haven't heard that. <clears throat> from this album, uh, they oh, sing wow. So Far Away and It's Too Late, Smackwater Jack, Will You Love Me Tomorrow, You've Got a Friend, and that might be it from this this album, but then a bunch of James Taylor's hits as well. Um, yeah. It, it's so, so good. It's only from a few years ago. Um, I feel the earth move, You've Got a Friend. 2010 is when it came out, and yeah. uh, I feel especially uh, <laughs> warm every time I hear it because I've been to live shows of the troubadour and know what that venue space is like to be standing in and so um it maybe gives it a special vibe for me but but it's really really good and you know it's kind of feels like cheating a little bit to to talk about a cover in this section of the the review process (laughs) which is sung by the artist but we've done that before i guess (laughs) a time or two um and and i really like it so yeah do yourself a favor go listen to it if you haven't already And I have not, and I really fun. want to. That yeah. that looks great. Uh, and and half of the songs from Tapestry are played on that live album. Yeah, a significant. That's number. great. Yep, that's great. Really cool. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Sure. <laughs> oh, I th- I think I'd seen that somewhere, but I think yeah, I may have even referenced have it out. on this uh, podcast. You might have. You might have, but or, or that that comes up. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Very very cool. Yeah. Before we move into kind of our concluding sections here, uh, what track do you want to put on our Spotify playlist, Ben? Um, I think I'm going to go with uh, Home Again. How about you? I really like it when you pick kind of more of a deep cut on an album. <laughs> because, it, because it it one, it usually surprises me, and I kind of go, oh, but I don't want to say that out loud because I don't want to make you feel like i don't like your choice um but it i think it means that you really connected with a tune Uh and that's cool boy oh boy that's tough i don't i didn't just close my eyes and pick one that one has really stuck it up but (laughs) i I really could have been happy with any of these 12 going on there um sure i i'm gonna go with oh geez I'm going to go with so far away it is such a beautiful song a very close second and i love putting on this album because the first track is i feel the earth move that's a really cool tune i love that and i love it's too late like starting with the the congas it sounds like very groovy like (laughs) 
bah. almost like there should be some jazz flute there. There might be even in that tune, yeah. but um, yeah, I'll go with so far away. Awesome. So in your opinion, is this album, and I mean, you know, the way that we hear these songs on this album, because we've already talked mm-hmm. that a lot of people have done these songs or she wrote them for other people. So this is kind of a unique one, mm-hmm. but is this still relevant? I think absolutely. I think these are well-written songs by a gifted writer and they're performed well and they don't sound, uh, I mean, maybe I need to watch what I say. I was going to say they don't sound like they were released in 1971, but Hmm. I think there are times when I do hear maybe in the production value, some of that early seventies influence, but I think this song, this group of songs could have been released in the 80s or may, maybe even in the 90s. It would have definitely sounded a little different in the 90s. But I think there's a timelessness to these songs because they're just so well done. And it's a, a predominantly a woman's voice and a piano, which I think helps it yeah. not feel terribly dated either. Um, and, and I think makes it, for me, seem really relevant. And the fact that, you know, they're just... <laughs> 12 really great songs that uh, that I think need to be heard really makes me think that they are so relevant. How about for you? I want to say yes. I think that uh, a powerful and prolific female voice is always relevant and is important and we need we need them um, with a, a world that is still you know so full of, of male voices. Um, we need those strong female voices as well. And I think that every once in a while we start to see one or two, you know, a little fits and starts. We'll see kind of a a solo a female pianist and vocalist kind of spring up and be popular, you know, like a an Alicia Keys or a Sarah Bareilles. Mm-hmm. Um, in Canada, we had a wonderful musician um, grow to fame through the 90s and 2000s called Chantel Kraviacic, um, who is just wonderful. And is married to her. Rain Maida. Oh, yeah, married to Rain Rain Maida of Our Lady Peace, another right. uh, rock band that that we grew up listening to. And she's she's done very well and has some big hits here in Canada. I don't think she's as well known internationally. Um, and on that Sarah Bareilles note, and about kind of being relevant, uh, Sarah Bareilles performed "Brave." I want to say on the Grammys a number of years ago, and she performed it with Carol King. Oh which was very special and either right after the song or later they were presenting an award together. And Carol King said um, with musicians like Sarah at the helm, the future of music is in good hands. And oh, I think wow. that, yeah, that's uh, you can't get much of a Sarah, uh, Sarah Bareilles must've almost just fallen over backwards <laughs> when <laughs> she had that said of her. But I think that when things, when moments like that happen and when artists like that continue to spring up, then you have to say that yes, this is still relevant because yeah. it's still inspiring people Absolutely. to make this music. And even I would say even, and there's, and there's many, and there's many solo female, female artists. I'm not trying to say like, because they're not playing a piano that they can't be prolific and relevant. Mm-hmm. It's not what I'm trying to say, but even like a, a, a Taylor Swift, who's just been such a powerful female voice. And um, also, Uh, has written songs about sitting at home with her cats. So I feel like there's a connection (laughs) uh, (laughs) here. Uh, 
uh, although their personas are very different. But yes, I would say yes. I would say the the instrumentations, yes, some of, uh, some of the production quality a little dated, but um, still very relevant. And one thing we've talked about, the lyrics on this album to me are so accessible. These are relationships and feelings and situations mm. that we've all mm-hmm. been in. There's nothing like super, super specific, like, well, I haven't really ever gone through that. It's all like, you know, when you're down and feeling lonely, you've got a friend. Or why does everyone feel so far away when I want you close? Like, that's like everyone can relate. You you can probably be in almost any mood and put this album on and a song is going to speak to you in any mood that you're in. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, that's relevant for sure. Um, What about rolling stones ranking here number 36 uh how do you feel about that not not good (laughs) (laughs) too too low (laughs) i think it should be higher i think um i think for as a symbol of one of the most prolific writers of our time i think in the same way that this list has propped up compilation albums uh from artists that they see are significant. I think this needs to be higher. And my hunch actually, given sort of what you said about the the rise of the star female vocalist at this mm. moment, my hunch is that if they do put out a new list in the next couple of years, that this will move up uh, a couple of spots. Um, because I think like, like closer, Joan, to, closer to one. Oh, I don't know. If, I don't further, know. If, further away from one. I might move it up that high, but maybe not one, but I, I think it'll be pushed, pushed up towards the top, um, uh, higher than 36. Um, if oh, that's, really? my, that's my hunch. <clears throat> yeah. Oh. I, I really think, um, you think the people, the people voting for it. Yes. The stars okay, that they would pick be, now to, oh. to be, uh, you know, talking about what their most right. influential music is would push this up the list. I think, um, oh, interesting point. I like that. So, so I, yeah, I, I think it needs to be higher. I, uh, I'm, you know, we're into that ballpark of, of numbers now where like, you know, 36 is high for, you know, for any album. Um, so it's not that it's a bad spot necessarily for it. Uh, but I think it, it could be, or maybe should be a little higher. Um, if it were up to me, what about for you? I, I want it to be higher. I want it to be closer to one than it is. Um, I think that the influence it's inspired, uh, the quality of the music, the commercial success, come on. Like this dwarfs almost all of, there's only, I can think just off the top of my head, only a few that, you know, Thriller, Sgt. Pepper's, uh, Sgt. Pepper's might've only been around like 19 million. This is 25 million. Like this is, of what we've talked about so so far, maybe top five rumors, maybe yeah. top three in terms, yeah, rumors. I think this is top five in terms of album sales. Mm-hmm. So I would see it higher. I think you're right. I think you're going to see more prolific artists, female artists, and other artists too, that who perhaps were not pulled in 2003. That if they were pulled today, um, would would definitely have been influenced by this. Uh, Taylor Swift, I think herself has said that she was influenced by this Sarah Bareilles and a lot of other artists. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think based on who compiled this list, who voted and, and what we see in the top 10, I don't see it cracking the top 10 with kind of the base of what's here, but 
I can see it in the top t- 20. Uh, it's very, it's very good. It's very good. I think that it's another art. Uh, it's another album. That's more of a, of a musician's or an artist's or a songwriter's album, as uh-huh. opposed to one that, that everyone knows. But I also feel weird saying that when it sold 25 million copies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, like, right. Yeah. like that. I feel like Ben, I feel like our peers maybe don't well know it well, but, people who are between 10 and 20 years older than us, like everyone's going to know it or everyone, at least in this kind of rock folk pop genre is going to know it. So yeah, higher should have been higher, a little higher. We've talked a lot about other music that she wrote that was released before or that came after. Do you have a favorite cover? I, I really like uh, James Taylor's rendition of you've got a friend. I just like James Taylor in general, but um <laughs> That's a that's agree. a great cover. <laughs> agree and agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say I do also love that James Taylor's version of You Got a Friend. I heard that years ago, long before I knew that was a Carol King song. I guess my choice would be Aretha Franklin's Natural Woman, although that was released before this was released. It was Carol King as well. So uh, I think most people knew it as an Aretha song before like I, I'm saying like people people living in 2020 sure knew that as an Aretha song even I know it did come before but but knew it as an Aretha song not as a Carol King song or performed by Carol King um, it's kind of buried at the bottom of this album too but I, I do like her performance as well but but I mean certainly as I looked at the list of tracks before I listened to the album right away jumped away like oh yeah i know that i know aretha did that so i'd say aretha you make me feel and then the last thing we like to talk about and this is disappointing we ask if there are any other albums by the artists on the top 500 and this is the first time we've had to say unfortunately no there are no (laughs) other albums by carol king on the top 500 list now i say that i don't really know much about her discography so maybe Mm -hmm. I don't know how many she released. Um, she, this was her second, and she absolutely nailed it. Right. Um, <laughs> but maybe too, maybe you can do that when you've been writing and producing and releasing successful music for a decade. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I think it so. wasn't like she just started writing music the year before. Mm-hmm. You know, she'd already been doing it for a while, which so she had a lot of experience. Well, anything else before we close out, there, bud? I know this was one that that is special to you and that you really enjoyed. Yeah, um, yeah I, I'm glad to have gone on this adventure. I'm glad you uh, picked it up as well, and that it's now in yeah. in your regular rotation. Um, yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is a joy, and uh, I look forward to um, listening to it for many more years. Awesome. What do we got coming up next week, there, bud? Oh boy, the next one on our list is uh, Rolling Stone puts puts this one at number 37. It's uh, Hotel California by the Eagles. Uh, I'm far more familiar with the uh, the Eagles' greatest hits that Rich Reeser had (laughs) in his pickup truck at Rouge River Farm. Uh, So Hotel California, I'm guessing I'll know a few songs, but it's going to be somewhat new for me. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait either. And I look forward to discussing it with you next time. And we hope that you join us next time as well. And for now, take care of yourself. Here's to a great 2020.
Here, here. Here, here. Bye-bye for now. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.